Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, of course, pastors focus on the part of this uh, that is absolutely a very necessary thing for believers to do, to renew our minds. The interesting thing I want you to see is that this verse also tells us why we should renew our minds. So you see that little comma in the middle? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So why do you renew your minds? Not just so you can say, I have a renewed mind. Look at me. No, the scripture tells us right here in what has been the, the golden verse of the series that Pastor John's been ministering, why we should renew our minds so that we may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So what I'm going to talk to you tonight is about the other half of this verse. And I want to talk to you about proving the will of God. And what does that mean? Um, let's take a look at Romans 12, 2. Uh, part of it, anyhow, in the New International Version, the NIV. It says, then you, the, the middle part, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See that? Uh, then you will be able to test and approve. Now, I, I use the term because I like rhymes. I'm just, you know, that kind of guy, you know. If it rhymes, it flows, it works for me. I like to say it like this, to prove and approve. Prove and approve. And, and, and what, why, why that? Because, of course, uh, the, the uh, uh, translation we've been using, the New King James, uses the word proof. But then here you also see this other aspect of it, which is proof, carrying the idea of test, but also carrying the idea of approving. What does that mean? And so let's dig into that a little bit tonight as we get started. First of all, this word, in the, uh, as it's used in the Greek New Testament, means to test, to examine, to prove, to scrutinize, really to, uh, to determine whether something is genuine or not. Like uh, precious metal. You are determining whether that gift you got was a real diamond or a cubic zirconia. Lord have mercy. Here we go. But, but, but you see, what we're doing in, in, in regards to spiritual things is we're determining whether something is the will of God or not. Because the will of God is the real diamond. That's what we're looking for. Anything else, it, it's, it's the, the fake, it's the counterfeit. It's not what we're really looking for. The, the real diamond, the real pure gold is what we're looking for. And that being what is the will of God. So, so the first step of this word is really describing to us to determine what is the real thing 
and what is not. And then the second part of it is once you recognize that something is genuine, then you approve of that thing. So, for instance, once you've determined this is the will of God, this is not the will of God, you've proved it, and then you approve it, which means you say, you know, and I, you might say, well, does God need my approval? Well, not in that sense of the word, but I mean, you're approving it because you're setting yourself in agreement with it. You're saying yes to it. You're submitting yourself to it. So in that sense of the word, I'm using the word approve. So how important is that, that process whereby we're going to prove the will of God? We're going to separate the, the real from the fake and find out what the real is, not just for the sake of finding out what it is and say, yay, I found out, but then to approve it, to embrace it, to take it as ours, to take it as, yes, that's for me. I've determined that this is what the will of the Lord is, and therefore I'm going to take it and run with it and go for it. Now, this is a good place for me to say something that I must say when talking about the will of God. There is a sense of the will of God that is general, that applies to everybody. And there's a sense of the will of God that is specific. Understand this. The Bible is God's general will for everybody. There is nobody in this house that the Bible does not apply to. So there's nobody that can say, oh yeah, that verse is for them, but I don't have to worry about that one. I can get away with that. Mm-mm-mm. No, you can't get away with it either. <laughs> so, so the Bible is God's general will that applies to everybody. And we understand that. But does God have a specific will for you that may vary from his specific will for somebody else? Well, think about this. Are you gifted in every possible area that a person can be gifted? Obviously not. I know I'm not. <laughs> Despite the many gifts that God has given you, you realize you don't have them all. There's people that have certain giftings and equipment that you don't have or that I don't have. That is by design. Because God has not intended to equip everybody with everything. Jesus was equipped with everything. And of course, with good cause, you, you might look at it this way. When Jesus was on earth, Jesus was the only body of Christ that was on the earth. Nobody was saved yet. They couldn't say, I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead because it had not yet happened. You know, so uh, you could say that Jesus was the the he himself was the body of Christ on earth and he had it all. The scripture actually uh, infers that in John chapter three, when it says that he had the spirit without measure. But you and I. What we have is measured to us. We have not had everything given to us, but we've had the measure that God intended and ordained for us to have. 
So there is a specific will of God for your life. Because there are specific giftings that he's given to you to do with your life what you need to do with the giftings and equipment he's given you. Now, I want you to understand this. That as he has done this, he has also laid out a roadmap for your decision making. Because this gifting, he's got something he wants you to do with it. And so therefore, there's a path to follow to stay on track with doing with your equipment what you're supposed to be doing with your equipment. Are you with me on that? So therefore, there's this roadmap with a whole lot of decisions that we need to make on a daily basis. Now imagine how big that Bible would be. For every decision that you need to make on a daily basis for your personal life, for, for your business, for your family, for, for whatever the case is, that'd be one big Bible to carry around. And then you need to figure out what page was that on again and, and have to go and find the page. And, 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 you know, even if you had it all on computer, you know, I mean, there's so much information, you'd have information overload. So how did God work around that? Mm-mm-mm. Let me tell you that the very same author of the general will of God, the very same one who wrote this, as a believer in Christ Jesus, if you are a believer, that author lives inside of you. So therefore, he can direct you with the specifics for your walk and your journey and your calling without you having to carry around, you know, 20,000 Encyclopedia Britannicas or the biggest computer to, with this big brain to fit all the information you got to fit in there. What's it? Is it? Terabytes? Is that what they're doing now? Lord have mercy. That's hard to imagine all that information. But think about all the information that would be required for you to keep up with every decision you need to make. But you don't need a computer to bring around. You don't need a giant Bible to bring around. You got the author of the Bible living inside of you. So therefore, the better you know the book, the better you recognize the voice of the author because he ain't going to tell you anything different than what he put in the book. Now, he'll direct you in a specific way that is specific to you that may not be specific to somebody else who's got a different calling. However, he's not going to direct you outside of the guidelines of the general will of God. Are you with me on that? So I just want to lay that foundation. That's a real important foundation to lay right there uh, regarding uh, the fact that there is a general and a specific will of God. Now, when I'm talking about proving out the will of God, we don't need to prove out the Bible because obviously that's already written out, made clear, made plain. All you got to do is read it and believe it. That's nice and simple. What we're proving out, 
What we're determining whether it is or not is in the realm of the specific will of God. Are you with me? So, the Bible talks about proving the will of God, obviously here in Romans 12 too, which also carries the connotation of, shall we say, proving out what the will of the Lord is. It's testing, examining, scrutinizing between which course of action is the will of the Lord and which one is not. Why prove things out? Why is it important? Well, it's important because not every spirit trying to influence you is the Holy Spirit. Well, well, well. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. And see that word test that I underlined up there? That's the same word in the Greek New Testament as the word prove. So we're doing the same thing here. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. So, uh, uh, as we examine this, keep this in mind, that how did we ever find out that Jesus came in the flesh to begin with? What was the source that gave us that information? If not for the Bible, how would we have known that? And the people we heard it from, where did they get it from? They got it from the word of God. So the word of God is the source of information by which we learned about and by which it was revealed that Jesus did come in the flesh, which is actually signifying both his deity and his humanity. The fact that he came in the flesh revealing his humanity, the fact that he came from somewhere. You follow me? He came in the flesh signifies that he was somewhere else before he came. That part signifies his deity, that he was eternally existing with God the Father before he showed up here on planet Earth. Come on now. Hallelujah. Now, so it, it is interesting to me that this test that the Bible tells us to do on whether a spirit would... Uh, be of God or not of God is to test whether the spirit agrees with something that the Bible says about Jesus. Which goes right to show something I shared with you a few minutes before that when the spirit of God, who is the author of the book, is really saying something, he's going to say something that lines up with the book. And he will never, 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 never say anything that is not in line with the book. Which is an easy way to determine what's him and what's not. And then also you can realize this, that when he is going to lead you in line with the book, and when I'm talking about the book, I'm talking about the Bible, when he's leading you in line with the book, he's not going to go ahead and try to make the Bible say something it didn't say. He's going to go ahead and lay it to you in its proper context. See, he's not going to do like the devil tried to do to Jesus. 
said, hey, you know, Jesus, the, the Bible says that, you know, uh, the, the angels will hold you up with their hands so you won't dash your foot against the stone. So since we're up here in this high place, this high pinnacle of the temple, why don't you go ahead and jump? I've been trying to prove to him from the Bible in this temptation that he should jump. I mean, that's kind of like the guy that got scriptures mixed up together and, and, and found three of them, put them all together and, 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 and came up with a strange idea. He, he found uh, Judas went and hung himself. He found another verse that said, go and do likewise. And another verse that said, what you do, do quickly. <laughs> you know, that's not the message that the Bible's getting across to you. And someone can say, I found all of it in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Yeah, but it's not what the Bible says. That's twisted. When the Holy Ghost is talking the word to you, he's never going to twist it. He's going to bring it to you in its proper context. Just a little side note, but somebody needed it. All right. Ephesians 5.10. If we can take a look at that. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You see, that's part of the proving process here. Part of this proving process of proving the will of God is right here. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You see, you're finding out what the will of God is because the will of God is acceptable. We read that in Romans 12 too. <laughs> Good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So we want to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. That's part of the proven process. You're separating what is acceptable from what is not acceptable. What is the way you should go? From what is not the way you should go. Let's look at this in the New Living Translation. Same verse. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. <laughs> Carefully determine. That, that means you're not being loose about this. You're being very, very cautious and very strategic. Because if you don't determine this right, you're going down the wrong road. So is this important? Yeah. You don't want to get this test wrong. I mean, you know, you, you get algebra wrong, you know, that, that may not hurt you as much. It may mess with your grade, but it won't hurt you as much if you're not getting a good grade in the, the school of life. Come on, somebody. Let's look in that same chapter, verse 17, Ephesians 5, 17. It says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So therefore, there's a proving process to prove what is the will of the Lord. So you're distinguishing it from what is not the will of the Lord. And it's important for you to know. And you say, how do you know? How can you be sure? And it's a good question. But one good thing we already hit that helps you to know is the fact that the author of the book lives inside of you. And that when he gives direction, it's always going to be something that's in line with the book. The devil's never told me to tithe. <laughs> the, ne the, the devil never told me, give that person $50. You, you know that, right? The, the devil ever, never told you, you know what, you really need to be honest with that person, tell them the truth. No, he ain't saying that. He's saying you need to go ahead and lie and 
try to find a creative way of saying something rather than just telling the truth. So, so there's a certain amount of black and whiteness when it comes to what's God and what's not God. But then there, there's a certain amount of it that is um, maybe not so black and white. As a matter of fact, over in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his crew on a missionary journey were seeking the direction of the Lord about what city to go preach the gospel to. Now, it's interesting. You think, well, Jesus said go in all the world and preach the gospel, so you can just go anywhere and preach it. But they were praying and seeking the direction of the Lord about where to go because, yeah, Jesus said to go into the whole world, but they knew that their assignment wasn't the whole world. They couldn't handle that. As a matter of fact, one of the places that they were thinking about going to was called Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit told them, said, nope, don't go. Exactly how that was communicated, I don't know. That they, they might have just not felt right about something. I call it like you have the family feud strike inside of you. You know, something just don't feel right. And you know, it can be just enough to slow you down which sometimes is all you need. You know, there are some people that woke up on the morning of September 11, 2001, and they had something bugging them inside that was just enough to slow them down that had them late for work. And that's not made up. That, that's true stories of people. And, and, and you know what? They, they, they were born again, had the Spirit of God living inside of them. And because of that, they could pick up a signal from the Lord that even though they didn't understand the whole picture, it was enough to slow them down, enough to give them some caution, and it saved their life. Hallelujah. But back to Acts chapter 16. However, it was communicated to them, but they knew that the Spirit of God did not want them to go to this place called Bithynia. And you think, how can that be? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Jesus said it, but then he is in the world. Why aren't they going there? Why would the Lord tell them no? But then you read the first verse of First Peter, and Peter's writing to the strangers that are scattered throughout all of these places, one of which is Bithynia. And the interesting thing, I'll never forget when it dawned on me. How could that be? Very simple. Paul and his crew, it wasn't their assignment to go to Bithynia. Somebody else got the assignment, and obviously they did the assignment because Peter had somebody to write an epistle to that was at Bithynia. Bithynia got reached, but it wasn't Paul's assignment. Whew, that's good. Someone just fan yourself right there. Say. All right, Hallelujah. So understand what the will of the Lord is. You can determine what the will of the Lord is because you see something that Jesus said. And, and, and you know what? A, a big part of what helps us along is just to believe the Bible. If we really believe I am one of the sheep of the good shepherd and I hear the voice of the good shepherd and I do not follow the voice of a stranger. And if you just believe that every day of your life, <laughs> I'm one of the sheep of the good shepherd. Yeah. 
and I hear and follow the voice of the good shepherd, and I do not follow the voice of the stranger. That's John chapter 10. That's what Jesus said. And I tell you, you go ahead and quote that to yourself every day. You know, every day that's like a shot of confidence that I'm not going to go ahead and fall for the stranger's voice. No, I'm going to be tuned in to the good shepherd's voice, and he's going to lead me into green pastures rather than something that looks like it's green. And then you find out, what's that stuff called? AstroTurf? Lord have mercy. All right. All right. So you're proving the will of God. You're determining what it is. But then after that, you're approving the will of God. And like I said before, does that mean that God needs my approval? No, it doesn't mean that God needs your approval. God needs your cooperation. So when you're approving this, you're saying yes. That is the will of God, and I'm embracing that. I'm going that direction. And it's interesting, if, if we were to look at this, 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Next verse. Do not despise prophecies. Next verse. Test all things. And hold fast what is good. That word test, there's that word again. It's that same Greek word for proof. Uh, the King James Bible actually says prove all things. Hold fast what is good. Let me give you the, the Pastor Ray translation. Prove all things and approve what is good. Are you with me? Prove all things and approve what is good. So you're proving all things because that, that proving, that testing process is where you're determining, all right, this is the right way, this is the wrong way, this is the will of God, this is not the will of God. And then once that determination is made, don't be dumb and go the wrong direction. Approve the thing that's good. Hold on, hold on tight, hold fast to what is good. So you're testing everything to make the determination What's right? What's the will of God? What's not? Once the determination is made, hold on to the, to the one that's real. Don't be fooled by the bling of the cubic zirconia because your diamond might just need a little polishing. And the enemy is good at making things have bling that really aren't blingy. You know what I'm saying? And he will cause something to, to appear one way when it's really not. When that, that, that thing that's good, you say, well, I know the Lord says it's good, but it just doesn't seem to be all that good. Doesn't appear to be all that good. But, but you know, when you polish the diamond, the diamond will shine. Come on. When you rub some of the dirt off the diamond, you say, yep, yep, he was right all along. That's a diamond. That's a diamond, just like he said it. Even though I wasn't fully convinced at first. But he said it. He got it across to me. He communicated it to me. So therefore, I know that's the right way to go. So even though I wasn't thrilled about it at first, but I knew it was him and I knew it was right and I went with it and I'm so glad I did. You know, there never been the story of anybody that said, yes, glory to God, I obeyed God and, and, and now I... I'm so regretful that I did. Nobody ever obeys God and regrets it. I mean, you know, you may get up the next morning and say, what did I do, you know? You, 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 if you're going to 
uh, being there for the short term, you may wonder, what did I get myself into? But if you're hanging in there for the long term, God always has happy endings. Hallelujah. God always has happy endings. That's why you got to hang in for the long haul and not just hang in there for a week or so or say, well, you know, I give up on this. This doesn't seem to be working the way I thought it'd be working. You can't just hang in there for a few weeks with God. You got to go for the long haul. And you know, when you do, you never have a regret. You never have a disappointment. You never say, boy, I wish I would have gone the other way and not listened to God. Nobody ever listens to God and regrets it. The only regret is when we we don't. All right. Woo, Philippians 1. Oh, I like this. And this is a prayer. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, love that term, approve the things that are excellent. See that? Approve the things that are excellent. And that's what we're talking now, approving. We've determined that something is excellent. We've determined something is the will of God. And now we're approving it. We've proved it, now we're approving it. Let's go to that next slide now. Distinguish between the things which differ and choose the right one. That's another translation of that same verse where it talks about approving the things that are excellent. It says you're distinguishing between the things which differ and you're choosing the right one. So the distinguishing, that's the proving process. I had two paths here. I proved which one was the right one, which one was the path that I should take, which one was the path that was in the will of God. I've proved that, I've distinguished that, and now I'm choosing the right one. Imagine the insanity of going through the process of proving, and there you have it crystal clear, what's God and what's not God, and to choose to not listen to God. That's why it's not just about the proving, but it's about the approving. When you know it's God, you got to go with God. You can't run a red light. Oh, you know what? The most painful experiences in life for me have come due to running red lights. When you knew God wasn't in something and you went right into it anyhow, like a crazy driver. (laughs) And what does that lead to? Nothing but regret. And it's interesting uh, that, that the same wording about approving things that are excellent. Also found in Romans chapter 2, verse 18. So, so uh, it's, it's interesting that you'd find that same phrase in more than one place there in the New Testament. So when it comes to approving things that are excellent, this is the process. You've, you've proved by distinguishing between the things which differ. They're different because one way's right, one way's wrong. One way's the will of God, one way's not. So they differ. And then when you have determined which one of those is right, then you choose the right one. Someone say, choose the right one. <laughs> choose the right one. Yeah. That's what Jesus did. Hey, Luke 22, check it out. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, saying, 
Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus was distinguishing between things that differed because he had the way that he would have rather done it in his humanity and the way he knew the Father wanted it done. Are you with me on that? So when you come to distinguishing between things that differ, say, I could go here and I could go here, but I know this is the way that the Lord wants me to go. Once you make that determination, that must be the point where you end the conversation and very simply say, not what I want, but what you want. And if you trust God, that's easy. It's easier if you trust him. There's a lot of people that aren't really fully convinced about God yet. There's really a lot of people that aren't fully convinced that he's really on my side and he's, he's out to give me a happy ending and then not a, not a sad, miserable ending. There, there's a lot of people that just haven't yet realized how good he is. And, and, and that, that he's not trying to take stuff from you. He's trying to get stuff to you. He's not trying to take away your fun. He's trying to get you to have more fun than you ever had in your life. If you think he's trying to take away your fun, you don't know him. You don't know what he's like. It's so much easier to be able to trust him in that moment of a big life decision and say, not my will, but yours be done when you know that he's got your back, when you know that he's committed to you more than you could ever be committed to him. <laughs> so it's easier to say that when you know the character of the one you're saying it to. Hallelujah. You know what? Let's skip Acts 13 and let's go to the slide after that. So we're going to skip Acts 13 for now. So we see what we do with the will of God. We prove it and then we approve it. But the next question we can ask is what does the will of God do for us? So what do you do with the will of God? You prove it, you distinguish what is and what is not, and you see what is, and then you approve that, you jump both feet into that, say this is the way I'm going to go. I approve that. I have chosen with all my heart to commit myself in this direction. Because I know that's the will of God. So you prove and then you approve. But what does the will of God do for us? One of the first things is reprove. Woohoo! The will of God reproves us. And one way you can clearly say that is the Bible says about itself what the Word says about the Word over in, uh, let's see, what's that, 2 Timothy? Yeah, 2 Timothy 3.16. That all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the very idea of the general will of God and one of the reasons it's given is for the purpose of reproof. If you want to know what reproof is, reproof is getting a good reprimand. It's being corrected. Now I ain't know nobody here needed that before. Hey, hey, hey. 
So what does the will of God do for you? It reproves you. Which means it's going to go ahead and shine the light on something that's not right. So that you can go ahead and do a U-turn. 1 Thessalonians 4. Whoa, yeah, here we go. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God. So you've proved it, you've approved it. As a matter of fact, like I said, with the general will of God, you don't need to prove and approve. It just, it's proven. It's already been tested. <laughs> the word of the Lord is tried. Someone said, I tried the word and the word didn't work. No, I'd say the word tried you and you didn't work. Hey, <laughs> for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Where's the reproof here? Well, the Lord's knocking on somebody's door and saying, you know what? Yeah, you, you, you and Boo have been messing around in an inappropriate way. And, and if you're really going to do this will of God thing, you're going to need to put an end to that right now. Tell Boo to hit the road. <laughs> Say, Boo, you ain't getting a thing if you ain't giving me a ring. Come on. Huh? <laughs> All right. But you see, what did the will of God do? It reproved you. It reproved me. It let us know, hey, you're doing something that is outside of the boundaries of what the will is. And so, therefore, I'm going to sanctify you because that's the will of God, your sanctification. What is being sanctified is being set apart from something, set apart from something to something. Well, you see, you're doing something that is outside of the will, outside of the, the path. So you, you're being set apart from that. And because you're about doing the will and following the will of God, you're being set aside to the will of God. So, so you see the reproof that's going on, the correction that's going on. You see, what, when, when you open yourself up to the will of God, you are opening yourself up to God messing with your business. And I want desperately to always be in the place where God's messing with my business. Because whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And if I'm hearing correction, woohoo! You know what? Someone says, I want to hear from the Lord. I want to hear from the Lord. I just want to hear from God. Well, when you hear from the Lord, you will hear from the Lord like the, the churches in the book of Revelation heard from the Lord. The Lord talked to them both about the stuff that they were doing well, and he talked to them about the stuff that they needed to fix. All right, you're doing good here, here, here. And here's the things you need to work on. And unfortunately, there's a few churches that <laughs> didn't really get any compliments at all. <laughs> they just got the list of the things they needed to work on. But if they had something that, 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 was, that was on track, Jesus would have been more than willing to go there first to affirm the things that were right before he corrected the things that need to be changed. But I'm glad he does both. Even if you're hearing correction from the Lord and it hurts and makes you say, ouch, just praise the Lord and say, I'm hearing from God. And if he's correcting me, woo, 
My daddy loves me. Hallelujah. How's that for a way of looking at it? Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians 1. <laughs> Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Now think about this. Where, where, where's the, the idea of reproof and correction going on here? Well, the idea that Paul wasn't going this direction. He was going the totally opposite direction. He, the direction he was going with his life was one of not multiplying people to come into the kingdom of God. He was looking to eliminate the kingdom of God. He was going in a direction that was totally opposite of this. And Jesus shows up one day, knocks him off his horse, said, Hello, Saul, my name is Jesus. I'm Lord. I got a job for you to do. Do you have any questions? And it was really about that simple. And if Jesus showed up to you the way he did to, to Paul, you would <laughs> you'd understand that pretty well. Any questions about this? <laughs> but, but, but you see... Paul was called to be an apostle by the will of God, just like you are called to do whatever God has called you to do through the will of God, by the will of God, according to the will of God. Which means you going any other direction, you going and pursuing anything else other than the thing that God's got for you, hey, when, when, when the will of God is emphasized to you and brought to your attention and you're going the wrong way, it's going to bring some reproof to you. It's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you need to turn around and go the other way. Like Jesus saying to Paul, hey, you know what? Here you are. You, you, you think you're going to Damascus and you're going to put my followers in prison? You mess with them, you messing with me. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you messing with my people? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus brought reproof to the direction that Paul was going with his life because that was not God's plan for his life. Obviously, he was fighting against the plan of God by doing that. This was the plan, to be an apostle. And glory to God, he served that plan and served it well to the point where he could say, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, and I've kept the faith. And when it comes to the plan and purpose that God's got for your life, do you want to get to the end and be able to say the same thing? I did what I was put here to do. And I fought a good fight. Hallelujah. Glory to God. How are we doing on time? All right, here we go. First Peter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2 that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So when this person comes into contact with the will of God, what happens? Well, according to verse 1, it says that when, when, when this impact happens, when they come in contact with the will of God, that they're arming themselves with the same mind that Christ had. Who sounds like renewing the mind. Well, well. And it goes on to say in verse 1, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. If you are going to cease 
from a sin in your life, your flesh will suffer. Because it's been regularly fed something that it wants. And now it's no longer getting fed what it's always been being fed. So what's it going to do? It's going to say, I want some and I want some right now. Whatever you've been feeding your flesh. I want it and I want it now. And it will scream loud at you. How many of you know? I'm not the only one, right? Oh, okay. I was hoping somebody else would raise their hand. I didn't want to feel by myself here, you know. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So what, what's that suffering? You know, you get to the point where it's like uh, you, you stop feeding that flesh the thing that it wants, and it screams at first. But then after a while, that scream turns into something like this. Feed me. Feed me. That desperate cry of saying, please give me what I want. But when you hear that little change in the tone of voice, you say, I almost got them right where I want them. And where do you want them? You want them dead. That's where you want them. You want them good and dead. And then extra nails in the coffin. I mean, you want them good and dead. You know what I'm saying? He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, so to, to cease from sin in any area of your life, when your flesh has been used to getting something and now it's no longer getting it, your flesh will scream, but it's all right. Just have a crucifixion party. Hey, hey. Verse 2 again. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men. So here's what's happening. You're no longer living the way that you used to be living. You're not living in the flesh after the desires of men, that's what lust means. Lust is desire. So you're not living that way, but for the will of God. Because the will of God has brought some reproof. It has brought some correction and therefore has turned you around from the way you used to go and the things you used to do. So the places you used to go, you don't go no more. The things you used to do, you don't do no more. The way you used to talk, you don't talk no more. Why? Because you had an experience with the will of God and the will of God, which is what God wants. I mean, you, you, you want to put it real simple. The will of God is what God wants. And you had an encounter with what God wants and therefore what's God getting to you? God's getting what he wants done in your life. And so you're coming out of the messing and coming into the blessing. Hallelujah. By the way, a little side journey, talking about the will of God being what God wants. Isn't it interesting? If I didn't want you to come to my house, this is a side journey, so pay attention. If I didn't want you to come to my house, I would not give you directions. I would not give you my address. That makes sense, right? I find it interesting that somebody would think that God would not want us to have things that he told us how to get. That people would think that the Lord 
doesn't care about things of this earth. The, only, the, the Lord only cares about heavenly things and nothing down here. And yet the Lord told you how to get blessings that affect you here in this life. If he didn't want you to have it, he shouldn't have told you how to get it. But if he told you how to get it, therefore he must want you to have it. Because if he didn't want you to have it, he wouldn't have told you how to get it. Don't look at that as though it's too simple because we trip over that. You know, if God told you how to be financially blessed, which he did, then he must not have a problem with you being financially blessed. If the Lord told you how to get healing in your body, then he must have some care about this life and not just the next life. Of course, by comparison, the next life is the most important. We know that and we understand that. But God's big enough to take care of not just eternal things, but temporal things too. Woohoo! Hallelujah. So that's a little commercial for you. All right. So when it comes to the, the will of God and what we do with it, we prove the will of God and we approve the will of God. But what does it do for us? Well, it reproves you. But the last thought I want to share with you is that the will of God will improve you. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you're proving it and approving it. And what's it doing back to you? It's reproving you and it's improving you. Go to Colossians 1. This is beautiful. One of the prayers that Paul prayed for the church. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience with long suffering and joy. Now, real quick, what, what happened? What, what, once this prayer was prayed, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What happens to the person who gets filled with the knowledge of his will. Well then, verse 10 says, you're walking worthy of the Lord. It goes on to say you're being fruitful in every good work. It says that you're increasing in the knowledge of God. And then verse 11 says that you're strengthened, not with a little bit of might, but with all might. It's interesting to note that once this person had an impact, I I mean an experience with the will of God and and got filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that the things that followed had to do with improvement. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants to improve your life. And it's interesting to note that some of the improvements you think need to happen and some of the improvements he thinks need to happen, y'all may not see eye to eye all the time. So if you and God don't see eye to eye, you're wrong. (laughs) He's right. It's pretty simple, isn't it? But, but, but the thing is, is that that's the heart of the Father towards you, is that he's not reproving you. He's not looking to make corrections to you, to get something away from you and to tear you down. He's not into tearing you down. He's into building you up. That's the kind of Father he is. Why would he reprove you? Because he's looking to improve you. Hallelujah. 
Hebrews 13, this is beautiful. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Make you complete in every good work to do his will. And what was happening to this person who comes into contact with doing his will, comes into contact with the God who wants to make you complete in every good work so you can do his will? When you get God working in you, what happens? He works in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Is that an improvement? <laughs> I'd sure say so. One more verse for the road. Here we go. Hebrews 10. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Yeah. We like the promise. Yeah, standing on the promises. Standing, standing. We can sing a bunch of promise songs. But the Bible says that you receive the promise when? After you have done the will of God. So when you do the will of God, you're setting yourself up for a God improvement. Because when you receive the promise, what happens? The thing that you were once without, you now got it. The thing that you needed in your life, working in your life, whether it's for your spirit, your soul, or your body, whatever the promise is. But the thing that you needed, but you didn't have, after you do the will of God, you receive the promise. That means you got it. And what's the will of God when it comes to receiving the promise? It's not hard and complicated. The will of God is for you to just very simply believe him. And obey him. It's not hard. And what happens when you do that? You set yourself up for improvement. So what do you do with the will of God? You prove it and you approve it. But what does the will of God do with you? Woo! He reproves you and then he improves you. And we all need some improvement God style. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody praise God tonight. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we honor you and give you glory. And thank you so much for your spirit in this place tonight and the word of God that, that we've been taught. Lord, I pray that we'd take this and run with it. Not just being hearers and people that went to church and heard another word. But Lord, that we'd be absolutely ready to take this and run with it. And to, to prove the will of God. To approve the will of God. And Lord, to let the will of God work in our life to reprove us, to fix the things that need to be fixed, and to make all the improvements that you see fit to make. We thank you for this, Lord. We believe in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.